Good morning and happy Friday. Today, my guest is Mr. Neil Crane or Dr. Neil Crane. Neil is the founder of Core Lifestyle. It's a chiropractic, I would say, total care clinic. There's three locations here in the Twin Cities. Um, we have conversations around chiropractic, like bad chiropractic care, good chiropractic care, his passion for helping people and putting the patient first and not the process. And that's what I appreciate about Neil the most. We talk for about 45-ish minutes, um, sit back, relax, learn a little bit about chiropractic care and what Neil's up to next. Have a great weekend. All right, Neil, haven't seen you in a long time. Hey, Ray. What's you up, have a man? lot going on. I do. I so do. why don't you kind of tell, a lot of people probably know you that follow me already, but what's kind of your story? Where'd you come from? Like what got you into chiropractic care? And we'll just kind of go from there. Cool. Yeah. I am from Iowa, grew up there, born and raised, um, home of chiropractic actually in, uh, in the quad city. So, uh, it was a common part of my life growing up. Uh, when you were hurt playing sports, you went to the chiropractor, dentist for your teeth, medical doctor when you were sick. So it was pretty commonplace growing up in the, in the quad cities. Um, so I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to get into an industry where I could apply that. And uh, as I got older, it kind of fit what I was looking for and decided to go to chiropractic school down in Atlanta, Georgia, just to get out of get out of town and explore a different part of the country. So that was kind of my first step into uh, exploring new places and, and not, uh, not being super comfortable with people around me. And then uh, from there, Chicago for a year. And then in 2000, in, 12 moved up here to the cities and started my first practice in uptown so it's been 10 years here and we've grown to three locations and i'm um, getting ready to take the next step from here so and that next step is dallas texas okay so, so why why dallas yeah i think last year um kind of on the tail end of of covid and yeah i think everyone just taking a step back and evaluating what was important to them realizing that life's short and things can change in a hurry I think it was the first time my wife and I kind of stepped back and said, all right, you know, it's been 10 years here, been happy, it's been great, um, but what's next? Where, right. do we, where do we see the next phase? And so there was a personal and a professional side to that. And I think personally, we were just kind of ready for a different part of our journey, being outside more, better weather. Um, and then uh, professionally, you know, it's just a great opportunity for me to grow. It's uh, the fastest growing economy in the country right now is Dallas-Fort Worth. So Okay. Good What's spot. the mark like chiropractic? Is it saturated? Is it like because I feel like the Twin Cities, there's a chiropractor like on every corner. Yeah, I mean, anywhere where there's a school, it's going to be saturated. And Dallas does have a school. Um, I've actually lived, I think, only places that have had schools, which is random. So there's not that many, but um, Minneapolis is one. Where I grew up is one. Atlanta, <laughs> Chicago, and then Dallas. So I've kind of hit them all. All right. What's. Uh... What's kind of the vibe going to be down there? Same thing here. Like if you don't, if you've never been to one of Neil's clinics, go. Um, is it going to be that open like floor plan incorporating everything like the fitness side like you do the all that? Yeah, I think, you know, for me starting out, it'll be a much smaller operation than we've grown to here. Uh, I'll be solo for a while, but our concept is the same. I mean, it's something that I feel like is really congruent with the uh, mentality of, of most people in our age range right now. It's you want to feel good, you want to move well, but you want the tools to kind of be able to take the reins on your own and not feel like you're always relying on care. So we set our clinic up that way, integrating physical therapy, 
you know, our one clinic in the North Loop does have the training capacity, which is awesome to be able to talk to people about movement and, and actually apply it. Um, and then the chiropractic side, you know, is, is it's holistic, but it's also very centered around mechanics, centered around movement, centered around applying it to daily activities as well as outside of that. Um, so we'll keep all the same concepts. I'll start to build my team down there. But one thing that has really remained a constant is attracting and keeping good people in the clinic so that the experience is always the same and you can't rush that and it takes time to find the right people and attract the right people you know into that position so i'll uh i'll be rolling it back to my my old days for just a grinding bit. yeah pretty much how do the kids feel about the move kids are funny you know they i feel like they have such a a short-term uh viewpoint on emotions you know it's always what's right in front of them their emotional iq isn't that expansive so it happens in phases for them we moved out of our house last month we've actually been living in our neighbor's basement for the last seven weeks now fun so family of five 600 square feet you know we're getting to know each other a little bit more every day <laughs> um but they you know they take it they take it as it comes so that was the first thing next they'll be actually getting in the car and leaving the state that'll hit them you know that'll take some time to process and then starting a new school getting a new neighborhood and and they're resilient they're young so how old's your oldest she's nine nine okay yeah. so she probably has a little bit more of like a friend group and at because they go to private school too right they have the last couple of years yeah um they, yeah her and my seven-year-old both have a pretty good pocket of friends you know especially in the neighborhood so it'll be hard on them all right well yeah. if they're anything like you and your wife they'll be fine no i appreciate it yeah i mean it's hard on us too i mean it, it really is bittersweet and i think um, i'm really grateful for that emotion because that means that you know i really have built some meaningful connections here um, but it doesn't make it any easier right saying goodbye is never fun so i think you i met you then probably two years after you moved here like 2014 yeah that sounds right and i will say this and i've said this to anybody who asked me like you are you and Darren and your whole team are probably the only chiropractors like I actually like trust a thousand percent where I'm like, I'll send clients there. I mean, um, Dr. Taylor adjusted Knox when he had that, when he was two weeks old. Yeah. Um, you know, so with that and that trust you built here in Minnesota, like how did you go about doing that? I know you talked about like the holistic thing, but like I said, like from the first time I met with you, in the back of CrossFit Northeast in that little back cubby. Like I trusted you instantly. Yeah. Um, and just as an example, I won't call out the chiropractic clinic, but a client of mine walked in. It's like, they're a chiropractic mill. I mean, she ne he never sees the same doctor went in for his neck thing. Never asked him any questions cause he was a patient and the lady just grabbed his arm and adjusted his elbow and couldn't swing a golf club for a week after that. Mm. So it's like how, did you come up with your philosophy to build that trust where people are comfortable sending their friends to you, their loved ones, their kids? Yeah. I, we could probably sit here all day and go through <laughs> bad chiropractic stories, you know, and it's a real problem in our profession. Um, and I'm not going to go into it too much, but I realized right away that the only thing I could control was what I did between my walls, the kind of experience that I was able to create for patients coming in that was all I could really do. If they came in and had a horror story or had something bad to say, you know, I was disappointed. It definitely hurt. But I, at the end of the day, I had to take the energy and just put it towards how can I change that? 
how can I reframe, you know, their experience and, and the way that they perceive chiropractic care? And what do I think that that, how do I think that should go? And that's really what I focused on. You know, I didn't really know how it would all shape out beyond my first five years. I knew that I was going to put my head down and work as hard as I possibly could to continue to build that trust in the community and create internal referrals and, and, um, and really just give people what they needed, not what I wanted. And I think that's a huge issue. I can only speak to the chiropractic community, but there's a lot of clinics you go into where you can tell, you know, the recommendations on care, the process, the way things are, you know, laid out for you, it's all in the best interest of the clinic and for that doctor. And it's not really about what you actually need. So that was most of my focus. What other services could I bring on, on board to complement what I do? Chiropractic is great. It is certainly not the end all be all. And there's a lot of other compliments to that that need to be integrated to really properly treat someone, you know, the way that they need. So focusing on physical therapy, athletic rehab, you know, you were bringing in some different treatment styles there for a while too. Um, and trying to find people that they could bring another level of professionalism to the practice that I couldn't. And, uh, Taylor walked in as a student in 2017 and shadowed and I was starting to have more students reach out at that point I had been out in, in practice for a while and um, she just blew me away by how confident she was she was so much more confident than I was out of school and you know really just kind of sure of what she wanted and she left and I was like wow you know she was really impressive for a student but I didn't really know kind of how I was gonna go she reached out a couple weeks later and was like hey I want to do my internship here for school and I was like okay great but you need to be accredited with the school first. I was like, all right, well, you know, send me what you need. I was running back and forth six days a week, split days, two young kids. I mean, my, my head was spinning at the time. A couple weeks went by. I hadn't really done anything for it. She's like, hey, deadline is in a couple of days. I filled out all the paperwork for you. You just got to sign it. So I was like, okay. So I filled it out. She showed up a couple weeks later. And uh, it really opened my eyes to kind of the next phase for the clinics. How can I continue to build on this to you know, can change that perception to an extent and create a philosophy and a platform for other doctors to succeed within that. Cause that's a whole nother problem is that you get out of school, you're saddled with student loan debt and you got two options. You can go start your own practice, which doesn't matter what kind of small business you're starting. It's hard. Right. If you're selling coffee or t-shirts or whatever it is. And then you could also go work for somebody else, you know, and it might be one of the like you said, a chiropractic mill or something that's doesn't pay very well, you know, long hours. It's just not sustainable. A lot of turnover. So there was a huge gap in the, in the profession where we didn't have a group set up. We didn't have a situation where you could work for a brand that had the same singular philosophy and gave people the same experience. And you could trust that when you walked in, you were going to see the doctor that you signed up to see. And, you know, all those little things I, I had gotten feedback over the years from other patients that were negative experiences and tried to, to take that and, and use it, you know, in a way that um, we could create something more sustainable, both for patients and for the other doctors. So that's when it started. So 2018, Taylor came on. Six months later, Darren came on. We opened the North Loop in 2019. Andy was on. Eric, Dr. Erica was on as PT. And then since then, we've just continued to grow. So um that's how it started. I, I was just really fortunate to attract those people just through the process of um, of what I was putting out there at the time. You know, I think people saw it and they were like, oh, that's that's what I want. That's how I want to practice. This is, you know, I think we can work together. And because I didn't structure it 
like an asshole, you know, for lack of a better term, <laughs> gave them the opportunity to actually have a career and, and make something out of it and put myself interest aside. Um, we've been able to, to do something special. So yeah. And they haven't left. Like that's the other thing too. It's well, besides massage therapy and that's a whole different conversation, but like there's no turnover. No. And that's something that I'm most proud of is that I've seen them get married, you know, buy houses, go on vacations, start families, you know, that, that means more to me than however many extra dollars I could have made by structuring it differently and have them turn over every couple of years. What's there's no, I have no interest in that at all. Right. You know, now that we were able to do that, it's afforded me an opportunity to now step away, uh, continue to allow for that to grow and, and succeed and then go on to, to another market, you know, and that would not have happened if I did set it up any other way. That makes a lot of sense. And the other thing too, this is feedback I've got from people I've sent to you is like, they didn't feel like you were just trying to make money or Darren or whoever they saw. Um, Cause they were like, it was the first time I've ever gone to a chiropractor where they didn't have like the next six weeks of adjustments scheduled up and lined up ready to go. And I was like, no, like their goal is for you to not to come back. It is not people laugh when I say that, but no, no two people are the same when they come in with a different injury. So how could you possibly put a generalization of a treatment plan out in front of them and say, okay, you're going to come three times a week for four weeks and two times a week for six. You know, it's just nonsense. So yeah. I might see someone one time for a neck issue or a low back issue. And if that one visit is awesome, you're going to be the first person they're going to think about when somebody else needs something. Yep. The next guy that walks in, I might have to see him 15 times because he's got a disc issue or whatever it might be. And I, it's the same, it's the same outcome, right? We're still trying to create a good experience the best that we can get them the care that they need to get better and then keep them out of there. You know, we're, we're there for you. We love you. We love to treat you, but we only want to see you when you need us. And hopefully it's not for the same thing over and over again. Right. Cause then I'm not doing my job. Perfect. So speaking of disc issues, um, I wanted to ask you this question is, will I be able to ever get adjusted again in my neck with a fusion with a fusion? Mm. You can say if, if you have a really good practitioner that's a highly skilled adjuster, you can still adjust above the fusion really lightly. Um, and there's still benefit there to keep the mobility because that is, that is the setback with the fusion is that you're now going to be calling on segments above and below to do a little more work than they typically would. So they're going to take on more stress. So keeping those mobile is helpful and it can be done, uh, just not by anybody. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that was... Uh... That whole, speaking of doing your own homework, I have my iron neck yeah, set up nice. ready to go. But uh, my experience going through what I had with you guys was like, we tried everything to prevent the surgery from happening. Um, but the post-care, like you should go talk to North Memorial. I'll call them out because your physical therapy sucks. Um, but it was the same thing. It was like, I got to my first appointment and she's like, hey, just ask me these questions. You know, are you back to work yet? And I was like, I went back to work like four days after. Um, I work from home. And they're like, okay, you know, how much pain are you having? I'm like, zero. And so she was listing all these questions off. And she goes, you know, are you able to walk for more than five minutes without pain? I'm like, I walked on the treadmill yesterday for 90 minutes because I'm going insane. And she just kind of looked at me. And I was like, so what are we going to do? And I was given the treatment plan that they give to if my mom or dad would have had the same surgery. 
So like, I'm like, okay, I'll just give her the benefit of the doubt. I went to two physical therapy appointments and all she would do was like, give me a massage. I was like, so is this what we're going to do? Like my copay is a hundred bucks. Like what's, what are we going to build towards? And she didn't have any answers because I technically already graduated because I could walk without pain for more than 10 minutes. Mm. And so like when, when you're putting together, let's say you're putting together a treatment plan for, you know, somebody who's super active versus somebody who's not, how do you, is it more of an art or is it a science at that point? It's, uh, I think the problem when you get into a bigger clinic system like that is everything is so standardized almost because it has to be to facilitate that the way that they run and it pigeonholes the practitioners a little bit. They can't really have the freedom or the autonomy to practice the way they want to or kind of go off script okay they're being held to a certain level of um they have like their sops checks yeah checks and balances and in the insurance companies kind of dictate that a little bit too what they allow and how the visits are structured and what kind of goals you're working towards and what kind of exams could you check off so i'm in a unique position as a in, in private practice because i i'm i'm the one that gets to kind of dictate how i want the treatment plan to go um but to answer your question about is it uh is it more of an art or a science i mean i I think the art which has been lost mostly in all healthcare disciplines is the art of bedside manner the art of listening you know that's missed so often how how many times do you go to a a, any type of doctor and you can you know they're not listening you're their, their head is down they're on their computer you know they're like you said they're rattling off the questions that are standardized and then you get done and, and then their answer doesn't correlate at all with what you told them. So the art of listening is lost. That's a huge part of it. I learn, I bet I learn 95% of what I need to know about a patient, their presentation, what's going on with them, how I'm going to treat them just from the first 15 minutes when we sit down and talk. I talk, I ask questions and I listen and that helps me formulate what we're going to do to get them better. From there, I mean, there's no getting around that you got to be a good adjuster. I mean, the skill part it, it has to be there in order to act, to get results. But so much more of that is just taking care of people, actually being passionate about what you do, you know, care about them, listen to them. And you might not have all the answers and you might not be the one that takes them all the way through to get them better, but do what you can to get them there, point them in the right direction, give them resources, um, you know, and just do a better job of, um, of caring you know i think it just kind of comes down to that i think you often more times than not you walk out of a provider's office and you just don't you just you don't feel like there's any personalization there you know at all right so it's kind of like meeting with a surgeon yeah head down whole time so you talked a lot about caring for patients and wanting to do good like was that something that your parents instilled in you like as a child like what how did you develop that part of you it's definitely always just been a, I've been a more of a sensitive you know person to that I always wanted to try to, to try to help when I could or if I could take care of someone I would so that was just I think an innate part of my personality um, my mom is definitely a, the nurturing soul of our family um, and I, I got that from her but then the uh, the art of of listening and bedside manner and taking care of people I, I really got that from my uncle who was my primary mentor you know he can make you feel like you were with him for 10 or 15 minutes and he might have been in the room for five just from the attention and 
and the ability to kind of make you feel like you were the only person in the room when he was with you. And uh, I learned a lot of that from him. Okay. So, so good role modeling. Mm-hmm. And you're also an oddball of a chiropractor because you train hard as fuck. <laughs> like you get after it. Like CrossFit. Are you still boxing? Yeah, still boxing. Um, so like run me through that because I'll have clients that go to a different chiropractor and they'll be like, yeah, hey, you told me I can never squat again. I was like, well, how are you going to go to the bathroom? How do you get out of your $1 million car you drove here? Like, mm-hmm. what are we doing? And so like how... How do you balance that knowing like walking on your hands is one missed hand away from a severe neck injury or missing a snatch and dislocating your shoulder, being stubborn on something? Like how do you balance what you know you should be doing and still being a savage that you are? It, through trial and error, right? I mean, I've I've done all I've done it all. Just about any injury that walks in that office, I'm like, yeah, okay, I've done that. Some of it was just growing up a little bit learning more you know about myself and what i should be doing and what kind of risks i should be taking but fitness and movement is such a huge part of what we do i i couldn't i couldn't show up to work and and talk to people about you know different workouts and what they're doing and how to take care of their body and if i'm not leading by example so that's such a huge part of of who we are um and it's a big part of who i am personally it just keeps me grounded it keeps me sane so i i have to get after it and i really feel like i'm i'm really earning it um but as far as my own training, it's changed a lot. You know, I'm from seven, eight years ago when I was, you know, training CrossFit hour and a half, two hours a day with a competition team down in Minneapolis and, you know, really putting my body through it. I, there was a point where I was like, okay, yeah, this isn't sustainable. Like I'm not gonna be able to practice like this anymore and, and still train. So I've geared it down a little bit, but, um, I always tell patients when they come in, you know, like, well, you know, the last guy I went to said, I can't squat again or I shouldn't deadlift her. I said, look, there's going to be a, a point in this process where the, the, the risk doesn't outweigh the benefit. Like, you know, you probably shouldn't be hinging from the floor for two weeks until we get this healed. But absolutely the intent here is to get you directly back in the gym, doing the exact same thing, but doing it better with more knowledge and potentially, you know, some rehab along the way. So it doesn't happen again. But I couldn't tell someone not to work out. Definitely could tell someone not to lift. So, um, but yeah, I'm smarter, a little bit wiser than I used to be when it comes to training. Um, but you know, I'm probably getting after it four or five times a week still. Okay. Yeah. And that was probably the biggest thing from my injury is I've started to like act like an adult that has kids that has to go to work and like, you know, so if my neck's bugging me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take today off from jujitsu. I'll just go on a long walk. That'll be, and I think that's, the catastrophic injury has like helped me be a better trainer and take care of myself better. Um, so getting on that, like how do you deal with people being afraid of movement and, you know, in though this is what caused it. So I'm never going to do that again. Like how do you coach people through that? Yeah. And that's a pretty real thing, right? I mean, even, even if physically they're perfect again, that mental block can be a real thing. And I think just walking back and, and really educating them as to how we, how we got there to the best of your ability. You know, if you got as much information as you could about what led up to it, you know, learning a little bit more about their conditioning, their movement patterns. How do we, how do we kind of put ourselves in the spot to be hurt and then walking them through, okay, you know, here's how we're going to approach it this time. Here's a better understanding of the mechanics of it all. If you're doing X, Y, and Z the day or two before, you know, you're not going to do, 
deadlifts that third day or just really trying to give them a, a more of a objective program to get them through that first couple months so that they feel comfortable again I think is really important throwing them out there and just expecting the coaches or the programming to take care of it is a little risky so I'm probably a little bit more hands-on or involved that first four to six weeks post-injury getting back to the gym okay. um, but most people are so anxious to get back in there that it's it's probably more reining them in and trying to make sure that I give them all the warning signs as to how to avoid it versus, you know, me trying to encourage them to get back in. So I get, I get more of that probably than anything. Okay. Yeah. And that was kind of, I was, when I had that piss poor physical therapy experience, like I would start, I just reached out to people I knew in the industry, like from working at SC and I was like, what can I do? And so they were just kind of, you can do anything, but pay attention to neurological symptoms. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens. You're good go a little bit further. Um, so that's, I didn't know you were that hands-on when people like are returning to sport. That's yeah. I put my, I always put myself there as a resource and say, Hey, don't hesitate. You know, send me your programming, show me what you're doing. I'll try to walk it. You know, if we got to modify, I'll give you recommendations on what you can substitute. And a lot of them I'll either, I could take them into the gym in the North loop and we can go through it that way. Or if they're at, if they're a member at the gym that I'm at, or if I know where they're at, I can kind of follow their programming that way. Okay. And, um, I think it really helps obviously for them to feel like you're invested in that part of it once they've kind of gone beyond the initial injury and gives them more confidence to get back into it. Okay. And Jolene wanted me to ask this question. Um, so with the two years of bullshit, did you notice like an uptick in particular cases coming in? Like when people got back to the gym or they just were like, and we're, and we're still seeing it. Okay. I mean, it, I had, I had a guy in just yesterday and he's like, yeah, I'm just getting back to the gym from COVID and I started deadlifting again and he hurt his back. So people are still finding their way back into some sense of normalcy, you know, two and a half years later, right. Two and some change. Well, what we saw, it was really interesting. Everyone gets sent home to work mm -hmm. and it was two weeks to stop the spread was the you know, was the motto. Yeah. So people are thinking, okay, you know, a couple weeks at home, I'll just work from my coffee table or I'll work from my kitchen Island mm -hmm. or I'll just stay in bed. And so they're on a laptop hunched over in front of their screen all day, not working out, watching the news, which was insanely stressful every couple hours. And the amount of upper back and neck pain that was starting to come in once the you know, people felt comfortable going back into the office or back into the clinic was crazy. I mean, it was a massive uptick in neck and upper back pain, which we were already seeing a slow rise in that at younger ages over the last 10 years in, in the offices. They, we were seeing more young twenties, late twenties with a lot of issues from posture. Mm -hmm. And this was just like jet fuel on the fire. Then to top it off, the Peloton craze kicked off right in the middle of that. Yep. So now you're going from your kitchen island or your coffee table or your bed in a complete C shape. And then you're getting on a bike and you're in the exact same position still and you're biking for an hour and then you're going right back down and sitting down. So then it was shoulders and low backs and hips. And I mean, it was, it was wild and it was like that for probably eight months, okay, almost a year of same snare. I mean, you can almost guess it before they were coming in. So it was, it was, it was pretty wild. I never in a million years, you know, anticipated something like that. So 
Um, but we're, yeah, like I said, we're still, still seeing a little bit. People's we're at work, our work from home setups have gotten a lot better and we've tried really hard to help people figure that out. Like, Hey, you're, it's not two weeks. It's actually two years and yep. you're probably never going back. So you're going <laughs> to want to invest in, you know, a, a standing desk and a nice chair and, and just trying to make sure they got a better spot. But, um, it's been super interesting. Yeah. That's, I, I was expecting you to say upper back and neck the Peloton thing was like not even a thought in my mind. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. All right. So I want to ask you one more chiropractic question sure. that I'm guessing bothers you to your core, but I can't just, I don't know where it came from. Yeah. So what is it with certain chiropractors where they think an adjustment can like cure cancer? Oh. So where does that come from? Where does that mindset get developed? There's a philosophy. It's, it's an old school philosophy that was taught and it really was born out of a time which chiropractors were really fine trying to find an identity and things were, you know, the medical profession was really hard on them trying really just trying to not, not to allow for it to take off at all. And within that chiropractors got really defensive. They got really kind of bought into a certain philosophy that allowed for them to differentiate from medicine and almost took just a full one, like defensive stance. Like we're not going to work together at all. In fact, we're so different from you that we're going to be doing this completely different thing that we think is superior to what you can do. And they, it, it was such a strange time through the seventies and eighties with that, with them, you know, basically competing or battling or trying to run each other out of business. And the, within that, there was, a essentially, a, a school of thought that the life force of your body, your innate intelligence, which runs all the systems in your body runs through your central nervous system and a disruption to the central nervous system affected every process in your body. So by treating the spine, which is the source of where most of those nerves are exiting and where most of that central nervous system communication happens, that you're freeing up the flow of your central nervous system to do the job it's supposed to do. To then take that and extrapolate it to curing cancer, to me, is so irresponsible and crazy, I, I don't even know where to start. Where I could see it being a great complement to other therapies is that, yeah, there, there might be a lot of restrictive nature to your body during that time. You may be really, really unhealthy. You need any help that you can get. Getting adjusted, it's going to help the mechanics of your body. Mobility certainly is going to put a boost into your system to be able to get better communication and, and move better and feel better. But you're also going to need a lot of other therapies in conjunction with that. Um, and I, I hope that that's still not going on as much as it was. I mean, it feels like it isn't. That kind of goes back to you know, me talking about not worrying about what other people are doing, but I, you know, I've always known that stuff is out there. And I think what bothers me the most about it, aside from just the irresponsible nature of saying something like that, is that that might be your only experience. You might be someone that's on the fence. You end up looking up chiropractic office near you. You go in and the guy sits on the table and says, okay, you're going to get adjusted a hundred times over the next year and I'm going to cure cancer and your diabetes and you're going to be able to walk again. And it's like, sign me up. Yeah. See you later. And then anyone who talks about chiropractic from then on, you're like, they're crazy. You know, it's a bunch of nonsense. Bullshit. Right. So that's what bothers me the most about it. 
you know, I think most people, obviously, they go in and get in front of that. They're like, they know, they take it for what it is, and and they probably don't go back. Right. Huh. It also hurts the people like us that are out there trying to do it the right way. So. And again, that's why I send everyone to you because I trust you so much and I know you're not going to fuck people over. But right? yeah, it's, it's wild, you know, and it really came out of an old school philosophy that doesn't have a lot of backing to it. Um, most of the literature out there that supports chiropractic, and it's hard to study the effects of the adjustment. And there are a lot of neurological effects from getting adjusted that aren't measurable. Um, but most of the validity and, and most of the science behind chiropractic care is, is mechanically based, you know, and it's a, it's a really important part of your life. There's right. No doubt about it. I'm obviously a huge advocate of that. And we live in this day and age so beyond the way we were intended to move that chiropractic should be a staple. I mean, it, it should just be part of your life. Um, but it's, it's just one piece of the puzzle. Right. You know, it's, it's not a panacea. And that's refreshing to hear even like in the personal training realm. It's like there's bad information in abundance in the personal training realm you know that Mm -hmm. um and just like anything else there's bad chiropractic care so how would you so somebody listening right now is like had an awful chiropractic experience let's say you were talking to a friend and you're like that lives in new york city how would you coach them to find a chiropractor who they can trust yeah it's, it's hard it's hard. I mean, obviously I have patients move all the time and they're like, can you help me find someone? I'll go on, go online. I'll, you just try to do your best to vet them ahead of time, looking at the website, seeing if a lot of the language on the website is more based in movement, based in mechanics, based in talking about if they integrate physical therapy in the office. I think that's a, that's a great way to find someone that's going to have a similar philosophy to that, that we do. Um, but <laughs> at the end of the day you're going to have to probably run through a couple in order to find a good fit and, and some some areas just don't have a good one you know and that's that sucks but right. that's just the nature of it right now and and that's hopefully that'll change as the education continues to get better and and if you know concepts like ours can continue to grow and give give other good doctors a platform to have a career and, and stick around and make a difference um, there'll be more good ones than bad ones but researching ahead of time Checking reviews, referrals are obviously great from people that are also like you, that move like you, that train like you, think like you. Um, yeah, and just being your own advocate, I mean, ask questions, you know, question what they're doing. It's, I love it when patients ask me a question, why are we doing this and why do we need to come back? And, you know, it's, that's you being your own advocate, which you got to do. Okay, excellent. And then my new passion, jujitsu. How, because like I find, like, I, since I cut lifting down to like three days a week and I'm just like, okay, I don't need to lift six days a week anymore. Like I don't need to run ultra marathons anymore. Like my body has never felt better. Like when I'm doing jujitsu, but there's some people it beats the hell out of. Do you have a lot of people? Cause a lot of people that listen to this podcast or practice jujitsu. Yeah. Do you have a couple clients who do jujitsu? Like what are the common things you see on them? The, the main issue that I've seen coming from jujitsu from the patients that I have is, and I think part of this is just as you're learning, I think you get into some positions when you're, uh, gra- sparring, grappling, grappling. Sparring, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's a lot, it's a lot on your neck. I mean, there's just a lot of wrenching, a lot of flexion on your neck that 
happens, I think, as you're learning and you're getting the shit kicked out of you. And uh, I see a lot of upper back and neck stuff. And I think most of that probably is because it's in conjunction with the desk job. So you're already putting a lot of pressure on your shoulders. You already have super tight traps that you've never paid attention to. You know, your neck probably wasn't great to start with. And then you're putting all the additional pressure on it. So that that is probably the number one thing that I see, uh, thoracic mobility and then like cervical strain. Okay. Um, so I think from my, my lens, I just would think anyone that's in it, you know, make sure that you're putting extra attention in strengthening interscapular musculature, especially if you have a desk job. So like banded poles, like super light, 60, 40 to 60 reps at every single day. Keep a band by your desk, you know, kind of like your setup over here and just make sure you're keeping a constant stimulus on your, on that musculature that supports your shoulders. Um, mobi- mobility is huge, making sure that all those other stressors are not adding to the, the problem. And then, um, you know, just being mindful that when you know you're really getting after it and getting run down that you're giving yourself time to recover. Okay. So I, th- I think like a lot of things, when you first get into it, I'd imagine it's, it's so much fun that you just want to train all the time. Correct. And it, you're just not conditioned for it yet. So trying to taper your way into a little bit or take those periods to rest and give your body a chance to recover, I think is probably the biggest whiff on most of the patients that I see that are hurt from it. Um, but that's true for every sport, everything, right? And especially a lot of the, the workout programs. So. So if you had to tell someone, hey, if you want to take care of your back, your spine, let's just say your spine, what is a couple things they can do like that could prevent them from coming to have to see you or like what can they just do to make their back feel better on their own? Well, if we had to walk most of our day, like we were intended to, there would not be back pain. It'd be all traumatic injury back pain. It wouldn't be the kind of back pain that we see all the time. So you have to remember that your body, almost every physiological process in your body is centered around motion and the ability to move and to get up and go. So making sure that you're taking that time throughout your day, change positions often. Take a walk when you can on a call. Don't just stand all day. Just because you have a standing desk doesn't mean it's superior to sitting. If you stand all day, there's plenty of issues standing all day versus sitting all day. Do both. Stand for a couple hours. Stand for a half an hour. Sit for half an hour. Work for an hour in your kitchen. Work for an hour at the table. Then move over to your desk again. Just constantly varied stresses and stimuluses on your body throughout the day are how you're going to keep your frame healthy. But your frame has to have motion. Your muscles need load on them every single day to be healthy and your joints need that pressure need that gravity need the gait the ambulation in order to be functioning the way that they need to get the proper kind of fluids to the joints that need to get there i mean if you just think about the nature of how we treat our our bodies (laughs) especially from you know now uh, my kids are seven and nine an ipad is a very normal part of their day Right, whether it's in during the school year for assignments, during the summers to watch movies, play games, they're on technology all the time. Right, you know, and that that's that's starting at a younger age, which means that this stuff's going to become more imperative to pay attention to and integrate into a normal part of your life at an earlier age. So that's that's the best advice I can give: is to move, move often, change position, change stressors on your body as much as you're able to. 
and that's just from a you know general population daily standpoint right okay within that there's a million other things you can do but that's where i would start if you know you're not moving very much throughout the day throughout the week start small make a couple changes you know the cumulative effect of that over the course of weeks months years make a huge difference okay and then um you know as far as in your profession or in your relationships like personal life kids whatever what do you what would you say your superpower is my superpower my superpower is consistency it's something i take a lot of pride in I don't, I don't think I do anything particularly great. I'm not the best at any one thing, but I will show up every day and I will work as hard as I possibly can until I'm the last one standing. And that's how I, that's how I've always approached it. That was instilled in me when I was in high school. Um, I was fortunate enough to have an uncle that was looking after me and I was not heading down a great path at that time. And he put me in a strength and conditioning program in eighth grade with a really old school, kind of hard-nosed coach that didn't take any excuses, took all my bullshit, and <laughs> shoved it where it belonged, and uh, and changed the trajectory of my life. You know, he instilled a, a mentality at that time that I've been able to apply to every facet of my life. And uh, consistency is the most important thing to me. And... Uh, like I said, I might not do it great, and it might not be perfect all the time, but I'll be there. I'll show up. Okay. And then to wrap things up, this is a question I ask everyone. Go back, talk to 18-year-old Neil. What would you tell him? Slow down. Slow down. Be patient. You know, don't rush into anything. Um, I think any of the decisions that I've made in my life where I've had to backtrack and try and fix something, you know, it's because I went too fast just rushed into it felt like didn't have enough time but there's always time there's always more opportunities you know um you don't need to rush into anything and just take it as it comes stay true to who you are i will take that advice because right now i'm looking for locations for and it's like i think i found the perfect location then it's like i saw the next one no this one's perfect yeah so like that's perfect for me is just there's always gonna be commercial real estate open right there is i mean you can convince yourself that you know, it's the greatest opportunity of your life right there in front of you and get super emotional about it and make a bad choice and then uh, look back in a couple of weeks, months, days, whatever it ends up being and be like, oh, if I just sat back and <laughs> chilled out, you know, this was right here. So I've learned that the hard, the hard way for sure. So Right on. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Appreciate it. Hmm.